It's Barely in Topic, a podcast for Boston Bruins fans by Boston Bruins fans. Welcome to Barely in Topic. Uh, we are recording on Sunday, May 15th, and I'll be honest with you, I wish we had better news and better feelings uh, for today, but the season did not end the way that we wanted to or expected it to. And yes, my my bracket is completely busted, but that's neither here nor there. I am VA. I'm here with Jeff. Yo. Tim. Hello, hello. Nick. Why do I live in North Carolina? I do not know, honey. I do not know. <laughs> And I have no one else. I'm not here with anybody else. I was going to say, and me. That No, I'm not the fifth person. There's only four. First of all, <sighs> okay. I was hoping that other people would join in that, but, you know, everybody feels what they feel. Um, oh, a COVID cough. <coughs> vampire. Cut that one out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I... Last week, I was listening to the podcast. I kept hearing this squeaking thing. See this pen? I, as a nervous habit, I I undo the pen and redo the pen. And it squeaks, 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 squeaks. I threw the pen over here. I just, no writing today. Take all of the stuff away. I have no no notes, nothing. Because I don't really need to have notes. Uh, Bruins lost the, lost two of the last three. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're they're done. They're they're gone from the playoffs, the, the first round. There's a sunny side of this playoffs thing. We'll get to that later. <sighs> this this series was so unusual in that every game was won by the home team. <sighs> I have questions. It was a matchup series, right? Yeah, I, like, I, la, last look, change was very lot, important. A lot of these types of series do break in the last game, right? But not always. And honestly, this was a very extreme example. Like going into game seven, I saw lots of, you know, chatters of, well, you know, um, 2011 cup finals. It was they, they swapped home games until game seven. It's like, yes, but the difference was in 2011, um, the Bruins chased the Canucks out of the garden every game, whereas <laughs> the Canucks won by one goal all three games in Vancouver. Right. That was not the same here. That was this was whereas in this case, every single game except with the exception of game seven in fairness, involved the losing team being chased out of the barn. Yes. Yes. Last change, you know, it's one of those things they always talk about, oh home home ice is is important because last change and it's like, my God, it was true. Because Jordan Stahl's like, this line is the truest I've ever seen it, to be honest. Like I've honestly I always thought it was a bit overhyped, but this series, holy fuck. <laughs> Jordan Stahl's line was winning on the faceoffs. They were a tough matchup against Bergeron's line. It was just, it was, it was hard to watch. It was because you want your team to be better. You want your team to overcome this and they couldn't. And you know, ultimately, like I talked about not being scared of this team, but now that I think about it, having watched this, like, no, the Canes were actually probably the worst possible match because not a lot of teams have a good enough shutdown line to take Bergeron out of the game, but Bergeron Marchand out of the game without exposing themselves across the rest of the lineup. Yeah. Um, and I think I didn't consider that. I don't think I knew that the Canes third line was such an effective shutdown line. 
Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you only saw them three times this year, and it was really hard to... And you could shrug off every one of those losses because there was some big red flag around the Bruins on each of them that didn't apply anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We didn't really know. We we assumed that our team was better. They hadn't played since they had gotten better, and then, bleh. The Kings yeah. had a 40-point score on their fourth line. Wow. I didn't mention that in the, the last time I was on the podcast, but yeah, that team... Was and still is stacked, which is why when they acquired Domi, people were like, why Why are they doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Well, we saw that yesterday, why they got Domi. Um, yeah, like, although, incidentally, Domi wasn't playing on the fourth line anymore yesterday, unlike the rest of the series. Yeah, he was on the second. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, second line. Yeah, they picked a heck of a time to unleash that weapon. Who even knew it was a weapon? I mean, Don't like, th- Domi's got a history of being a weapon. It's just, you know, you can never tell what Domi you're going to get. Yeah, he <laughs> he's had flashes of brilliance and then bleh. I mean, he's only actually had two great seasons and then a lot of middling ones. But, like, still. <laughs> so, I, this does not have to do with the Bruins, but the team I'm a captain of, we're called the Assassins. <laughs> and our logo is the Albanian Eagle, not Albany. The Albanian Eagle, like the country. And for the game MVP, I passed around a Ty Domi bobblehead. So when they showed Ty Domi at the game, I was like, oh, he's the guy in the bobblehead. Uh, Someone poke his head and see if it wiggles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which uh, I I watched some of the game with some uh, some of my assassins. uh, And so they were like, oh, that's yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's 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 Ty Domi. You know, the guy. The Domi I pass around each game. That's him. And that's his son. Yeah. I don't like the Canes. And I very specifically don't like one cane. But I got to hand it to them. They've gotten better than the Bruins. And they they won the series. Now, you can argue that a lot of their flopping helped them win the series. Or at least tired the Bruins out a lot because they were on the penalty kill a lot. I'm convinced that the refs were just afraid of rod yelling at them like like something because in this hat this isn't the first time this has happened whenever a team the bruins is playing complains about the refs it always works out for them whenever cassidy comes back and says something it always blows up and i don't know why like every other team benefits from it except the bruins I was going to say, like, the classic example is fucking Craig Berube, right? Like, that was even, like, that was embarrassing, and it Mm -hmm. worked. Yep. And Carolina was the third most penalized team in the league this year. And all of a sudden, like, when it mattered most, they were uh, clean and miraculously cleaned up all their mistakes against Boston. Like, come on. I mean, and plus, like, there's a lot of calls that went against Boston that were, by strictly speaking, penalties. Like, there weren't a ton of phantom calls, but there were a lot of calls that wouldn't get blown in the regular season, let alone the playoffs. And this sort of brings something that's been driving me nuts this whole playoffs. And, like, people on Twitter have just been, like, loving this. Like, like, like Shriekin's like, yes, they're blowing penalties in the playoffs. I'm like, these playoffs have been borderline fucking unwatchable because of it. Mm-hmm came here to watch hockey not an en- endless parade of fucking power plays but it's not just like the endless parade of power plays it's there's two different standards set for each team like the difference between carolina at home 
in Carolina in Boston was huge. Like I think Boston had like a one power play advantage in Boston. And then in Carolina, Carolina had like a nine or 10 power play advantage, which is insane. In general, I'm just thinking in general, like the refs were just too fucking jumpy with the whistles. Like the sheer number of, of penalties in this series is ridiculous. And like, it was chippy, but not that chippy. I, I just felt like the Carolina players were flopping a lot. I don't disagree at all. I mean, there were some obvious ones on that front, but... Yeah, there were so many calls that were just very, very weak calls that would not have get, gotten called in the season. Like, any time a Bruin got near a, a, a Canes player and the Canes player just fell, it was a tripping call. The number of suspect hooks called. Oh, my God. I'm just, oh, my God. I, I, I can think of at least one where it's like they called. I don't remember who it was. I think it was on Howla. They called a hooking call on Howla where it looked like his stick was forward, not hooked. And then Jay just clapped his arm shut over the blade of the stick. Yep. Which that's holding the stick, not hooking or yep. at most or at best. Uh, a, how a, many a, times is holding the stick catching. really? They never call holding the stick, though, unless they you, you use your free hand, which granted holding the that arm move, the chicken wing, I like to call it. Classic move to call a penalty. I, I, I've done it myself. Usually, though, they just don't call it when that happens, though. Like, well, all that's right. just it. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's yeah. not that they were. It wasn't a hook. It's that it's not a callable hook. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I don't expect the league to start doing the right thing and calling offsetting. You know, yeah, that's a real penalty, but that was embellishment and calling off and calling offsettings. It's not going to happen. It should, but it's not going to fucking happen. But then just leave the ones you wouldn't normally call be, especially because it's the fucking playoffs. This is so upside down. And, and and then when something like Brennan Smith elbowing Pasta in the head and leaping into the hit goes completely uncalled. I mean, like the I wouldn't one touch thing... that one because the Bruins, McAvoy had just gotten away with a pretty blatant slew foot when that happened. I was like, yeah, the um, McAvoy got away with a slew foot. And a he half. did after that. <laughs> that was that was that was Marshawn in uh, in, in uh, scope slew foot too. So like, let's 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 not. That was after though. There were two blown no. calls in the span of a minute there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the the pasta thing happened first, though. The it's so it. we're going to talk about Game Seven. Yeah. Yeah. in an odd way, and I I'm probably gonna I'm probably the only Bruins fan is going to say this. Was it good officiating? No. Was it fair officiating? Yes. I disagree. Yeah, I don't because disagree. Like they, with the exception of the delay of game, which is one of those things you you have to call it, even though it's kind of I don't like the rule. No penalties were called after the. The first, the first period, and even that, the Hurricanes ruined many of ruined many power play opportunities by taking penalties right after the Bruins committed a penalty. So you had offsetting. Penalties. Oh, oh yeah, like the um, uh, matching roughings, which weren't even related to one another. Right, like Trocheck just being an idiot and blowing mm-hmm. a pe- and blowing a power play there. Yeah. Um, and like, okay, there were some others, like there were obvious calls, like, you know, when they showed the replay, the Hall basically cross-checking um, uh, D'Angelo in the teeth, which like, while it's supremely satisfying, yeah, that's a fucking penalty. Yeah, so like... Although <laughs> it looks like they really stretched the rules of drawing blood there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, there was not, not blood in that in that mouth guard, but he had to take his mouth guard out to demonstrate it. That's yeah. kind of horseshit. <laughs> Classic game seven officiating. We'll, we'll call the first... The first period. After that, fend for yourselves. Fair doesn't always mean good. No. Um, Fair often, more often means bad than not. Yeah. Both sides report. Both sides are both sides is in political reporting. It's fair. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it has anything to do with reality. So. 
I, I know the Hurricanes got way more power play opportunities at home, but I mean, I was at game two. Bruins deserved many of those penalties. High stickings. You can't. Oh, oh yeah, the Bruins are so many just ticky-tack bullshit, dumbass yeah. stick, uh, stick penalties. Again, almost all of them were penalties. The question is whether or not all of them were yeah. callable. Right. And what would normally Bruins... be called is probably the better way to put that, yeah. Yeah. But officiating was still better than the Tampa Bay-Toronto series, but maybe that's a, another conversation. Uh, no, that, that, that series ended just the way it should have. <laughs> Fuck the Leafs. I'm just talking about the officiating. I'm not talking about the end result. Okay, by no means did officiating really change the outcome of this series. What it really comes down to is the Bruins played poorly in all of their games at Carolina. They played awesome at home. There were things they could not overcome for whatever reason. There will be reasons that we will find out that players were not playing very well. We will find that out on breakup day, which will happen this week. Uh, yes, but in the meantime, certain important players were dog shit. Yeah. Eric Howla, where was he? Eric, Eric Howla, I mean, Eric Howla wasn't bad, but he wasn't good enough for the role he's expected to play. And then Craig Smith was unimaginably bad. Uh, it does open up that we need a second line center. Boom. There we go. No, 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 no. We need a first line center. Well, well, we're not there yet, Tim. No, I'm not even, no regardless of what, ha if the bad thing happens or not, I don't think we need a second line center. I think we need a first line center. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, okay. I think I know where you're going with this. Okay. Yeah. Grizz played his way out of the lineup. Oh. Uh, and, and basically, I want to say one thing. Before game six, I was listening to the radio on the way to picking up pizza because it's been that week. And anyway, I, uh, it was the pregame show. Um, so I was listening to Judd Surratt who said, Matt Grizzlick was out with a UBI. And I'm like, he practiced that morning. That is a lie. So, so Fluto has been quite clear that there's been something wrong with Grizz all season that he's frequently been um, uh, having like post games. And even during intermissions, ice packing his shoulder going back months. Yep. So there will be something with Grizz. My guess is it's probably a surgery worthy shoulder injury. We'll find out though. Okay. That's that's fine. However, that's fine. the other bigger factor here is Grizz has been historically not great in the playoffs. Yep. This really was like just like that dial up to 11, though. There is a very real thing there. He's an excellent regular season defenseman, but like going into the playoffs with him as your two, he as a playoff defenseman, I think he's a third pairing guy. Mm -hmm. The style just doesn't fly. His play style, which while mostly great, doesn't fly right now. I'll give it to you. Chris has like had a really hard time fitting in in up and down the lineup all year long. The the Chris Carlo pairing is okay, but it it could be better. Chris has been at his absolute best either with McAvoy, which he's still not really suited for, or with Kevin Miller. Yeah, so when the the mm -hmm. went on the Cup run, he was a third pair in 2019. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What basically happened was that forward Clifton became your second pair for a while. Because they were leading in ice time. And credit to them. Both of them were fantastic this series. Like, honestly, yes. like, like, I don't think highly of Forbord or that contract, but he was great. And Clifton absolutely turns it on in the fucking playoffs. We saw it last year, too. Well, uh, you know what? I'm going to just tell you one thing. I think that Forbord is one of those. Uh, he's not one of those defensemen that you're going to absolutely love, but you should love his dog, Darla. She's adorable. But, you know, he's not he's not flashy. He's not McAvoy. 
So therefore, he's not going to get the love that he deserves. But I think as the season has gone on, he's gotten better. And then obviously he turns it on for the playoffs. His penalty kill ability has been just amazing. Just he and Carlo, was that a game six or something that he and Carlo were out there for like the full penalty? Like it was like they had back to back penalties and they were just out for. Oh, both of yeah. Them. Like it was just 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 a hard match getting the job done. Like, like, damn. Yeah. I'm starting to have serious reticence about Carlo as a five on five player. But man, on the penalty kill. <laughs> OK, we're not here to to. We're not here to degrade my boy, okay? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not tolerating that today. I, I understand what you're, you're saying. You're saying that the Carlo had a bad year. He had a bad year. I think he's going to come back next year. I think he's going to be better next year. Yeah, I get it. I understand. As a penalty kill guy, he's really great. So how many? Do you, how many D partners did Carlo have this year, though? Twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, mean, I like, he mostly cycled through Grizz and uh, Grizz and Riley, right? Right. Because, like, when Zaboral and Urho were in, they were both playing right three right D, right? So There was a time they did the Derek Forbert-Carlo thing, which... That was not a good idea. No, it was not a good idea. It's like, let's just put two guys that handle the puck like it's a grenade the size of a beach ball on the same pairing during five-on-five. Five. You don't do that, no. <laughs> Lindholm and Carlo for, like, a game or two. Yeah. Look, I, I think the Carlo is going to have a bounce back uh, next year. Yeah, but yeah, you could definitely criticize this play. There you go. Fine, go ahead. I'm stealing myself for it again. Just just pairings there that should work that have wor- worked previously just didn't work this year. Carlo Riley was fantastic after the deadline last year. It never took off this season. I don't even know which player to blame on that. It might be both. <laughs> they looked better when they came back together in the playoffs here. I think that Riley needed to sit, and he needed to take a look at the game, think about his game or whatever. And I think he needed to get a big old fucking chip on his shoulder. That's what he needed. And then try to knock it off. So he played much better when he came back in. We'll have to see what happens in the future. I think that we'll have some better, better years next year. I mean, we know one of Grizz or Riley is going to leave the team this season, this summer. I I don't, they're not going to stick with that many high paid left shot defensemen, especially if they're planning on keeping Zaporal. Which direction they go, who the fuck knows. Does Grizz have any uh, trade protections? No, no, none of the LFD besides um, uh, Lindholm do. All right. So any of the three could go. It's not likely to be four board, though. <laughs> it could be just whatever, whoever get whoever they get the best deal for. They could just, like, flip a coin. Okay, this deal's better for us. Okay, this person goes. That's what I was thinking. Like, which gets you more? That's probably who, who goes. Grizzlick definitely gets you more. Like, I think you can get a second for Grizzlick. You're probably only getting what you paid for him in, in Riley or less. Hmm. That brings about a, a very interesting question, which I don't think we can answer today, but we can think about it. Do you think that Sweeney is going to be the guy that's making those decisions? I have an answer. I thought about this last night. Oh, I thought about I it. I did as well. I've been thinking about this all season long. No. I don't think he's back. Okay. If Tweeney was under contract, I would not be in favor of firing him because his performance hasn't been that bad. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity for a priority shift with no pain, no lingering contract. There's no firing. It just saying it's, like, it's time to move on. Maybe he doesn't even get fired. Maybe he gets kicked up to a VP position. In fact, I think that might be the most likely scenario. I want somebody else making the decisions. 
And I'm going to tell you why. Sweeney has been struggling with getting certain people in here. Yes, he pulled off the Lendholm trade and, and sign and all of that. That's wonderful. But you've had people like Bill Zito come over from the Blue Jackets, if I'm not mistaken, right? And he t- turned Florida into what on paper looks like a powerhouse right now. And hopefully they'll go far in these playoffs because I that's mean, where Zito's got a weird talent of identifying guys that just aren't getting it done where they are and then turning them into like, you know, value Verhage, Verhage, Bennett, Montour. You can't say really, even a lot of the other premier GMs in the league can do that. This well, is a unique talent that I have that even like guys like I, you know, highly regarded fuckers like Iserman and Sakic and Sakic aren't getting done. But I'm just saying you need somebody who has some other ability than other than like getting things done under a a cap. I think that Don Sweeney's really great at economic things, but I think that his decisions are primarily economic and not. uh, Let's see what's the best thing we can do. Let's see how we can pilfer um, other franchises. I mean, because really the fleecing of, of Buffalo was fantastic in the last year and what what Bill Zito did to Buffalo to get his team better is amazing. So like they, they pulled Sam Reinhart and other pieces over to the Panthers. I I'm just, I'm amazed right now. My allegiances right now are with the fancy cats. I'm going in on them. I want them to win uh, because they're fun. Now, now Now the question is what direction do they go? Do they hire someone outdoor outside of the organization or does Evan gold make the jump? I th- I think they got to go outside the organization. They need a, I'm a not different voice. Con- I'm not convinced they do though. I mean, like for starters, Evan Gold's fantastic. The cap gymnastics this team pulls are are extraordinary. Like, and he's the one that handles all that sort of stuff. But whether or not he could be a GM is another question altogether. I, I want somebody with a different vision, because this team is very close to becoming hard to watch. And there's the thing, I know we're not talking about the future. This is just a broad strokes I'm going to bring up here, though, because this is related to that. Yep. This team, because of choices they've been making, and, then, and there's nothing wrong with any of these choices, is going to be – has a high risk of being stuck in a very ugly purgatory in the very near future. Yep. Nowhere near bad enough to bottom out because they've made certain choices that are going to ensure about that. I mean, not to mention they're going to try not to bottom out. Otherwise, why on earth would they have given that contract to Lindholm? Exactly. But second of all, if certain developments that we're going to talk about later develop, they're not going to be any fucking good. No. We're talking either late again, the Calgary always fall, always ending up ninth or tenth in the, in the in the conference, or current caps, bottom rung the playoffs, easy out. Neither of those are good. They're both bad in different ways, but in the same theme. Do you do what New York did, where New York fired everybody in the front office. They put out a letter saying, we're going to get better. We're going to rebuild. And then in a couple of years, they fired everybody again. <laughs> you know what it is, though? Remember, with the, with the rags, you got to consider it isn't a true rebuild because they had two fish jump in their boat in the form of Panarin and Fox. Yep. Both those fish jumped in the boat. <laughs> well, we need to make it so people jump in our boat. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> So Sweeney's got to go. I'm sorry. You need somebody else, new blood in there to, to make it so that people want to jump in the boat. Here's the his, other thing. His ruthless approach to contract negotiations, I think, while when it works, it pays off well. When it doesn't, is a problem. Yes, big problem. Um, here's the other thing with Sweeney, though. I think if he goes, I'm not sure that 
um, Cassie survives the GM change. I remember they kept Julian for two and a half for for, for 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 a year and a half after the GM change, right? When you have a good coach, when you have a good coach, you keep riding the coach for a bit because remember, a GM generally only gets two coach firings before they get canned. And if you have a good coach who isn't the problem, you keep your powder dry as a new GM, which is what Sweeney did with Julian, even though clearly there was a major disconnect philosophically between the two of them. Yeah, I, I would hate to see Cassidy go because I think Cassidy's a really good coach. I think he works really well with the young guys. I think he works really well with the older guys, everybody in the middle. I think he's like brutally honest with the players. And, you know, there was some nonsense that was coming out from people who don't know this past week who were saying, I don't like it when Cassidy comes out and calls a player out. There is no way, and we know this to be true, there's no way that he comes out and calls out a player without having talked to them before about this. Right? He is he's, not that he's guy. Tough but, he's tough but fair. He's not a player's coach, but he's not a hard ass either. I don't want to see him go. But, you know, Cassidy took what he was given this year and made it work. Cassidy, I think, is awesome at making adjustments game to game. He's good at adjustments, but the only thing that I will say is the reluctancy to put – uh, the top line back together annoyed the hell out of me, especially game seven. You know, I'll point out that we were all we were all on the record here last fall of criticizing his refusal to break up the top line. And then sure enough, when he did, things got better. The team as constructed can't that ha- have 63, 37, 88 as a line. Can't, the roster can't take that. Right, but it worked in Boston. And you went away. Matchups. That wouldn't have done us any fucking good in game seven. It would have looked like game game five. (laughs) And they kept bringing Pasta out for certain uh, face-offs and then taking him back off. And and I don't think that had anything to do with... uh, it uh, how they played yesterday at all. I, I I only actually got to see the third period, and I'm going to tell you there were huge periods of very lackluster effort. I mean, at that point, the team knew they were done, right? Like, right. I mean, they came into the third, and it was like after that, after they had that first like flurry in front of of Ranta, and then you're just a corpse after that. Sure, they scored, but <laughs> yeah. To to be honest, they needed about five more minutes of game, and they weren't going to get it uh, because they just they whiffed on their opportunity to do that earlier. So that's yesterday, obviously. Um, I think Bruce Cassidy should be nicknamed Vitamix because he is very quick to blend the lines whenever things aren't working. There was nothing he was going to be able to do yesterday to make it work. There just wasn't. He was outmatched. And it and it's basically you can only do so much with what you have. And as much as I love Eric Howla, as much as I love uh, Craig Smith and uh, other players, it's just it just wasn't working. Three of his middle six players were were furniture this series. Howla, Smith, and Fred and Frederick were all a problem, and there's not that's too many players in in an important spots in the lineup to be a problem. Coyle, honestly, like I saw a lot of bad, Coyle had a bad game yesterday, a really bad game, but I don't, I have no real beef with Coyle series as a whole. 
I saw a lot, seen a lot of coil criticism. I'm like, how can you complain? Like, coil actually up until game seven was like solid, despite the fact that like his wingers were boat anchors. Yeah, um, coil, coil probably didn't get any sleep last night because that third goal was on him, and again that that missed, uh, that missed shot. But you know that that's hockey. That's why you play the game. I, I think one player that. No one in this podcast, at least today, has mentioned about not performing. Taylor Hall. Come on, man. Former MVP, which I know I, I've been on the record saying he shouldn't have won that year, but he still he still did. Still an amazing player. Couldn't, even with Pasta, besides game one and uh, uh, I guess a, a, was, it was very ineffective all series. So... Part of that is he spent a significant portion of the series basically flying solo because Howell has been bad. And for a while, it passed off the line, not defending it because like um, Taylor Hall, you're, you're a former first round pick and a former MVP being paid six million dollars a year for another four seasons after this one. You're, you you, you got to drive the bus. But we've but already determined he's not that guy. Yeah. It is, but so I'm saying, but I'm not not criticizing him. It's just it's a qualified criticism if you follow me. Okay. Yep. And uh, I'll give credit where credit's due elsewhere. Jake DeBrusque, his 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 box cars weren't spectacular this playoffs, but he was pretty good. He was reliably consistent. He was he was reliable. He was all over the ice. He was great defensively. Yeah. Good on the PK. Yep. Every version of the fourth line was great. Including Nick Foligno somehow, because like we haven't seen that yet this season. Um, I have no complaints about Nick Foligno apart from his cap hit after the series. Uh, Curtis Lazar was fault. a wonder. Yeah, Kurt, uh, Curtis Lazar, an absolute wonder. Oh my! A lot of actually our podcasts, Whipping Boys, have been like we're 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 good this season. Again, we talked about before Bort and Clifton. Like certain parts of the depth did their job. The problem was the middle of the roster. Yep. And honestly, that's kind of sort of the story of the Sweeney era, isn't it? I was going to yeah. He's had more good fourth lines than not. It's true. He's had the first line, which, you know, let's face it, he, you know, most the core parts of which are courtesy of Michael, uh, are courtesy of Michael O'Connell and Jeff Gordon, which is like insane. But the only time the middle of the roster was cleaned up was the cup run. And even that wasn't because we were still dealing with the David Backus problem. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you. the The middle of the roster has been the problem during the Sweeney era. Yeah, that's been the problem. I mean, how long have we been complaining about two C, about three C, and then if it wasn't two C or three C, it was two left wing or two right wing. It's so maddening. And I get it. Things change. You change line uh, people around the lineup. You you try different things. But I just feel like it's like we have been complaining about the same thing for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, I just feel like we all need a change. We need a change with uh, Sweeney. Bump him up. Fine. Bump him up somewhere else. But we need we need new vision. The other question is, is it worth replacing Sweeney if Cam is still Prez? So. Cam Neely's job is really essentially being the liaison to the Jacobses, right? So the question is, do we need a president of hockey ops rather than just a team president? Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, 
Like maybe kick Sweeney up to VP hockey operations and then hire a new GM. Okay, I get it. I get Distance it. Distance so Cam from the actual on ice product further. Yeah, so like basically like Brian Burke for the longest time had been GMs and stuff like that, and now he is the president of hockey ops in Pittsburgh. You're... Basically, yeah, like like what Shanahan is in Toronto. Okay. 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 Because I mean, long for a long time I've wondered exactly what Cam Neely does. But he is not the president of hockey ops. We know that. He is simply team president. Yes. So he's got a lot of business responsibilities. So like I thought about it a bit and like I don't love Cam's tenure really at all. But maybe it isn't really him. But you need someone, I think, above the GM with an overarching hockey vision. And I don't want Cam to be that guy. Okay. Yeah, you know, maybe the problem with Don Sweeney is not so much the grand plan so much as the details. You know what I mean? Some people are, are, are uh, you know, they are the, the whole plan. They, they can see the vision as it should be. And some people are detail oriented. And I don't think that uh, that Sweeney is necessarily good at the details. Okay, but here's the thing too. Say you do that and you kick Sweeney to VP of Hockey Ops and then you have someone come in. How long until Sweeney just is like over overrules your GM's decisions? Please give me an example of that arrangement where that's clearly been the case, Tim. I've seen it happen. The only in other one I sports. can think that's why. I'm only talking hockey because I don't give a fuck about other sports. But it happens, though. That means it happens. <laughs> it, there's a possibility of it happening. So, like, what if it does happen where, it, like, clearly you have to ha- you have to have you have to let you have to have someone as a vice president of hockey ops that's willing to let the GM GM. Don't micromanage it. And you have to be you have to tell Sweeney you can have an overarching vision but you have to let things happen. Would he be willing to do that? Again, like, I'm not worried about that. Like, honestly, look at other hockey examples. That's clearly not what's happening. I mean, Kelly McCrimmon clearly has a different vision for what the night should be than George McPhee did. George McPhee is still there. George McPhee is still McCrimmon's immediate, bo- immediate boss. Right? I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think I buy this, this line of thought. That's all, Tim. That's all. It's, okay. it's, Assuming that you have to sign anybody in the front office to a contract, right? You make it a very um, uh, short... clearly stated separation of powers, too. <laughs> yep, you can do that, but you can also like shorten the t- the term of the uh, the contract. So let's say the Jacobses were finally like, "I want you guys to win a cup. You have four years, boom, or you have three years, or you have whatever." Under the circumstances, that's not realistic, but that's fair. Okay, yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to alleviate the, the fears of what Sweeney can uh, may or may not do, I'm ju- I think it's just a good idea to get Sweeney out of the way of contract negotiations. Okay, I think it's good to get somebody else in there who can think, uh, who can who can look at today's players with a fresher set of eyes, and and make decision decisions about them, about who they want to go and acquire. I'm just saying, I, I'm done with Sweeney. I want Cassidy to stay as coach at least for another year or two. 
because I think that Cassidy really wants to, he deserves that cup, damn it. And I think that we need to get somebody in here who's going to do some kind of hybrid rebuilding thing where it's like we're going to get some some good players who maybe are underused in certain places who can fill some real good roles here. But also find a way to get some of our draft picks back. I don't know. I'm not a big draft person, but I feel like, you know, we're, we're going to need to dra- uh, really build that way. And if you have to re redo your, your draft thing, if you have to uh, figure out the, the, the scouts and stuff like that, then do that. Honestly, our scouts, I think, are trending the right direction. It's just the last couple of years we've had so few picks. <laughs> now, the other thing there to consider, too, is and I have Fluto wrote about this this morning, is there's a lot of players that expire next year, next year which makes them easy to move, which means the team's actually well-positioned for a, to retool. Mm-hmm. But mostly they're swapping bodies because I don't know if they have the assets to necessarily upgrade somewhere big that may or may not be imminent, imminently becoming a gaping hole in the roster. Again, we'll get to that. But, you know, basically, you know, the number of guys who are UFA next spring is, is considerable, most of which should be movable for some sort of asset. You know, Howla, Smith, Felino, Noshik, Clifton. Pasta. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I I don't want to talk about that. I don't. I mean, obviously, I don't actually favor that based on the way I said it. But you know, just just objective fact here. And you know, there's that maybe outside of their their uh, their control, right? Pasta may look at this roster and say, especially if you know the bad thing again. We'll get to that occurs. He may look at this and say, it's like I don't want to hitch my wagon to this for for what could be a lengthy purgatory. It's tough to say. And that's that's Pasta's decision. What the team needs to do is figure out now and plan accordingly. Or he could, uh, conversely, he could say, I really like it here. And uh, uh, Hampus Lindholm is my new best friend and stay forever. Say, I, I, no, no, everything I said allowed for that completely. Now, the point is the team needs to know and now what pasta wants to do in a year okay all right all right in fact it is one of the two things the team needs to, that are kind of sort of outside of the team's control this offseason that need to get figured out right away before they do absolutely anything else the other one is whether or not the bad thing's happening <laughs> well i think we've alluded to it enough and we really yeah, do I need to talk gonna, about that i think that was about to become a segue yeah <laughs> it wasn't planned yet but <laughs> I don't like doing this, but we do have to talk about the bad thing possibly happening. Let me set the table for you. And of course, the bad thing is the possibility or the reality of Patrice Bergeron hanging up his skates. There have been a number of clues that this could possibly happen. Emily Benjamin's tweet this morning set me up into thinking like, yeah, we definitely have to talk about this today. We all know that Bergeron scored his 400th goal in that game against uh, the Sabres, uh, the penultimate game of the season, the last home game. And he also got a hat trick with that. So it was a, it was a really fun game for him. And he, after, after the, uh, the game, he said that he was really honored to have scored all 400 goals with one organization. 
He had his children at the the press conference. Of course, we all also know that he brought his children to the All-Star game, which was kind of fun. He's not saying much about it, which I don't think he should. This is a decision that takes time to consider. And he doesn't want to uh, really talk about it with the press right now. He's right. I get it. But I just feel like, especially after seeing the way that he was hugging the, the guys yesterday, maybe it was just being extra sad about the way the season ended. And maybe we're reading more into it. But I feel like if we don't talk about this now, just a little bit, it's going to come off as more of a we're ignoring the, the very real possibility and putting our heads in the sand and being like, la, 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 la. I don't want to talk about this. Or we can talk about the reality of the situation and is that Patrice Bergeron is going to be one of the few 2003 draft class around because Getzlaff and Dustin Brown, if I'm not mistaken, they were both that year and they are retiring this year. And most of the others are pending UFAs. Halak, Boyle. Like the only like, like only a few are like locked in under contract next year. Um Perry, Pavelski, Suter, Brian Elliott, because reasons. Right. <laughs> you know, every player has a different approach to this. Everybody you know, it's it's a factor of like family, what your body wants to do, what your mind wants to do, what you might want to do. Because let's just face it, Patrice Bergeron should and will have any job that he wants with the Bruins. Okay. If he wants to get into the front office doing business stuff, because he had mentioned in some thing that I saw on like NHL Network, some like press day thing, he was talking about how he always thought he'd be a businessman. Do the Sean Thornton route, you know, get in on the business side of things. That would be great. I mean, he should and will have any job that he wants with the with the uh, Bruins. But, you know, obviously, I don't want to see him stop playing. He's still he's still got it. Um, But we do have to talk about it. So in addition to Emily's tweet, Fluto's article this morning really sort of hashed it out. And it's like. These guys are are some of the better fruit beat writers we have right now, and both of them are pretty clear. Like they think this is happening. Yeah. And honestly, all their their data points and they're all circumstantial evidence. Yep. You know, his kids being at the press conference, him hugging every single player as they left the ice last night, which you could say, oh, that's just him being a good captain. It didn't feel or look like that. Now, mind you, it's they just lost to Game Seven. Of course, it's sad, but that's it was a different tone. And the other thing is, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm only going to put so much weight into this because I don't know how close they are off the ice. But if anyone on the team is likely to know Patricia's, Patricia's mindset, it's going to be Brad. And Brad's post-game comments sounded like this is happening. And he knows it. I think they're very close off the ice. I think I've seen Patrice say that Brad is one of his good friends. You see Brad going off and doing hunting things with Kevin Miller and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's their thing to do. But I think that he is clearly idolized Bergie, truly loves him and uh, takes everything that Patrice says very seriously. And, you know, like the pep talk. You Did you you saw the pep talk the other uh, uh, like a few weeks ago that he gave Marshy after Marshy was having a rough game? 
you know, the pep talk and the hug on the on the bench. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, that's what captains do. But I, I felt like there was something more there. Again, circumstantial. But, you know, I think Brad has more insight than others. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying there is I don't know, like, if he knows, but if anyone knows, it's him. If anyone that's if anyone but that isn't Patrice or Stephanie knows, it's Brad. Right, right. I mean, there are plenty of reasons for Bergeron to make that decision, you know, and it's like, I feel like with bringing his kids around, it's kind of it's one of those things where it's like, A, they get to see the stuff that he's he's going through with, and experience that and just see like that side of hockey. But also he's might be signaling he wants to spend more time with his kids. I mean, hockey is grueling on families. It really is. And his kids are still young enough that he can do that. Well, and there's the other thing, too, right? It's like I know, like, you know, Bergeron and Krejci weren't best friends, but they were close colleagues for over a decade, right? He has to watch what Krejci just did. And it's like, you know what? Dave's got a point. <laughs> well, now, that's very interesting because I do want to bring in another thing that happened this week that I think is complete bullshit. I'm sure you all saw the Tony Amante clip of him on what has increasingly become Felger's conspiracy hour on NBCSN. Fuck. If you watch that, know that you watch something that was meant to generate clicks and attention and had no basis in fact. He said Patrice Bergeron was going to go signed with the Habs for reasons. Okay, his former agent now is in the Habs. He's, he's the Habs GM. Right. Okay. <laughs> Habs GM. That Patrice Bergeron grew up watching the Habs. No, he did not. Not true. Not true <laughs> at all. He hated the Habs. He loved the and, Nords. And he's been quite clear. He remained a Habs fan after the Nords left Quebec. Right. Which I have to, actually, I have to imagine is actually a rare position in Quebec City, but... <laughs> You love your favorite players, so you you do that. You follow them. And if there were a team that popped up in Quebec City, an NHL team that popped up in Quebec City overnight, he would definitely go there. Oh, sure, that's fine. I would. I I'd have no problem with that. That's fine. I'd but, be sad, but I would. But would be like, you know what? That's probably the right thing to do, Bergeron. And I'd right. cry. Right. His situation is not the same as Krejci's in that Krejci had to go back to the Czech Republic because his family, you know, travel back and forth is just, it's not really feasible at times and it's really hard to do. Whereas his family could easily come down from Quebec or they see him like three or four times a year. And he also summers up there. So like, it's, it's not the same, but the Tony Amante stuff was just like, it was just a crap sandwich that he was putting forth. And he's like, it's a no brainer. I'm like, no, no, it's, it's full of shit is what it is. Don't believe that. Not for one minute. It, he, Patrice has taken such pride being a Bruin this long. So if he doesn't resign with the team, I think he's going to retire. It's, 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 it's the re situation. It's resign, retire. One of those two. Yeah, I don't think there's a plausible scenario he goes elsewhere. No, I don't either. And Ty Anderson quote tweeted that tweet of Amande and said, "I don't realize, I don't know why I have to say this so many times." 
Patrice Bergeron isn't and never has had any uh, want to go to the Montreal Canadiens. So, like, I would I would trust Ty Anderson over Tony Amante. Now, why Amante is sort of, you know, taking the what, what has been for a decade been a masturbatory fantasy for Habs fans, considering he's an American who never played for the Habs. I don't really understand why he's taking this uh, delusional angle apart from clicks, I guess. And I also don't understand how he has like an in with the team. Let me get to that in a minute. But he's like, oh, I've heard rumblings behind the scenes. Dude, the only person that I think that you might know is your cousin, Charlie. And I don't think Charlie's telling you anything like that. I have a feeling his rumblings are like, you know, text messages back and forth with Jimmy fucking Murphy. And even Jimmy Murphy's not in this camp. <laughs> no, I, I think I think his rumblings are talking in the mirror and <laughs> either that or like a bad burrito or something like i don't think tony amante has seen a mirror tim that guy looks like he rolled off a park bench and then just decided to go to the studio i'm sorry i've been saying this for years and i know it's 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 not good to make fun of people's appearances but that guy is apparently a hockey coach at thayer academy and he looks like he slept on the, the park bench just, I mean, like you know. Jack Capuano was an AHL coach, and he looks like he slept on a park bench. I didn't recognize. I will not Tony have this slander against Rhode Islanders, okay? <laughs> not from a born Rhode Islander either, Jeff. Yeah, I know, I know. Fourth generation and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, don't mess with Rhode Island. Exactly. That is the theme of today. Two of us are wearing that shirt and we didn't even talk about that. We did not talk about it. Not about it. And, and no, I just woke up and th- said, I'm putting that shirt on. And so did Nick. And it's great. Yeah. Well, it is great, I guess. Sure. I, I, I still don't think I still don't think Patrice Bergeron is going to the Canadians, and I think Tony Monte is worse than Hags somehow on NBC Sports Boston. And the only reason you would ever turn on NBC Sports Boston is probably to watch the Celtics, and that's about it. And even then, people don't. Not everyone watches the Celtics, so they're like, like I I hated that. I in terms of the bad thing happening. I, I think it's happening. I just have a feeling that it is. So with with this loss yesterday, I wasn't really angry. I wasn't really mad. And this is like the worst. Th- this is probably even worse, though, because whenever you got this from a parent, you were like, oh, shit. Is I was just disappointed in the effort put forth knowing that this could possibly happen. Like, I just feel like they totally I didn't I just didn't like it. I just didn't like the effort put forth with this with the road games the series knowing that this was a possibility and if i were bergeron i'd probably retire i don't agree with the effort comment it wasn't until late in the seventh where it looked like they'd really thrown in the towel they just got caved in there's a difference there tim <laughs> i i still they were outclassed that's really that simple i know I mean... but he you know what he's talking about his feelings here you know, and I get it. I get it because it's like immediately after the game, I wasn't mad about the the game. I wasn't really mad about the Canes winning. I was worried about what I saw with the uh, Bergeron hugging everybody, and I thought, well, gosh, we're gonna have to really address this because to not address it seems to be Pollyanna ish, and I don't think that we are that way. You know what? We're not gonna know for sure right now. We're we are speculating. 
part of the grieving process is accepting that something is happening. And I'll be very happy if Patrice Bergeron comes back on breakup day and said, you know what? I'm coming back next year. Uh, I will be worried if he says, I'm going to take some time to think about it. Yeah, that never ends well. Well, I shouldn't say it never ends well. Sometimes it ends poorly, but then ends up being okay after all, because that's a thing that sometimes happens. But I, I hope he doesn't do that. I hope he doesn't make a decision and then like, kind of renege the decision. I hope he just kind of makes his decision and is at peace with it. I mean, like if he comes in halfway through the season and says, I want to come back and pulls a Justin Williams or a uh, Mike Fisher, I ain't going to be fucking upset about it. Nope. Scott Niedemeyer did the same thing. I won't be upset about that, but I do want Patrice to take the time that he needs to make this decision. I don't think he's going to lead us on. I think he's uh, above board. Uh, he's a he's a good guy like that. But I just I don't know. I want to hear a certain thing, and that is I'm coming back. So I don't really care which capacity it is, full time or half season or whatnot. You know, that's what I want to hear. But I also have to brace for the fact that that's not what I'm going to hear. And I think that we all, as Bruins fans, have to do that. And did you guys see my, my Twitter thread this morning, about an hour before we recorded? I did not. <laughs> no, I, I would say, like, it, I, obviously my life is much, uh, our, our lives are different. I was not in Canada uh, at the start of uh, Bergeron's career. But w- one thing that was very similar for both you and me, Bergeron kind of signifies our Bruins fandom. He was the, the player that we kind of saw when we were getting into hockey, Bergeron was just a little kid. 18 19 years old and we watched him grow up yeah like what you what you were what i was reading it's like yeah i relate to that all of it but i'm steering i'm stealing your spotlight so go ahead because it was a wonderful thread yeah so okay i mean reading twitter threads on a podcast a little rope but i did just tweet this and i have like 14 followers okay uh i can read it (laughs) i like reading there's a few obvious typos, so feel free to correct me as you read them. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I'm just doing them. Mostly just are. verb tenses and pluralities and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is from Jeff's Twitter feed. Uh, this is good because I, I read part of it and then I put it down because I was like, uh, tension spent. As the Bruins beat writers seem to circle in on the high likelihood of the bad thing happening this offseason, my soul dies a little inside. Patrice Bergeron is so essential to my journey into and through hockey fandom, as well as my evolution into a Canadian. A thread. I moved to Canada at about the same time Bergeron moved to Boston, September 2003. Here I was, an 18-year-old American who hadn't bothered to really learn much about Canada, whereas Bergy was an 18-year-old French-Canadian with poor English. But at least he had Marty Lapointe. I wasn't a hockey fan growing up, Not really sure why. My dad grew up watching the 1970s Bruins more than any other sports. But we were a football house. Same. But living in an all-male residence in Canada my first year of university, well, the indoctrination was swift. It was the first year after Ontario got rid of grade 13, so this little Nova Scotia university was rotten with kids from... Toronto and Ottawa. So in an effort to stand out from all these upper Canadians, obviously I chose my home team, even though the, the die was cast and New Hampshire was no longer home. 
The Bruins and Patrice Bergeron provided me with a tether to a New England throughout the ensuing nearly 19-year journey from Nova Scotia to Ontario to the north and back to Nova Scotia. In fact, while a coincidence, the only real time my commitment to Canada wavered was after the first year. And the allegory is very real. Bad playoff exit to the Habs, the lockout and ensuing implosion of the Bruins. But Patrice and I endured. I can't say I was committed to Canada until around 2009 when I decided that instead of returning to the U.S., that I was going to start a PhD in Canada, a decision that would keep me here for what will now be my entire adult life. That same spring, the Bruins, after several seasons in the wilderness, showed that they had some juice. They swept the Habs, and they went to Game 7 against the Canes, related fuck-all-dudes named Scott Walker. They are bad. That loss kicked my ass. It was the first time I was all in on the Bruins. I can't say with honesty that I was all in on Bergeron yet. I didn't know the game enough to really appreciate him. So my first loves were Mark Savard and David Krejci. But then 2010 happened. I had a difficult first year of my PhD. A bad and swiftly failed relationship with a Habs fan. Draw your own conclusions. And the Bruins, who had so much juice the year before, struggled. The Thomas injury... Matt Cook, the fucking flyers. The following year, everything changed. I was happy with what I was doing and, and with my place in the world. The Bruins won the cup. I was happy. And following years of his post-concussion woes, Bergeron was entering his zenith and never looked back. In the 11 years since, Bergie and I have aged. He's seven months younger than me. He's become a father and a Bostonian. I'm about to become a father and a blue noser for keeps. <laughs> so for me there is a cathartic and even poetic piece if the bad thing happens now i am a canadian regardless of what my passport says and patrice bergeron is a boston bruin regardless of what his contract status says i will be sad if his career is over but i am privileged to have gotten to watch this man's hockey hall of fame career all as a bruin but if this is going to happen, for me, I'm comfortable with our journeys ending together. Oh, that was a very nice thread. I'm going to retweet that whole thing. I did not have the same journey. Obviously, no two journeys are the same. But I can tell you one thing right now. From the start of my hockey fandom, I knew that Patrice Bergeron was the heart of this team and that everybody gravitated toward him. Surely, uh, Zidane Ochara was the leader of the team. He was the captain. He pointed everybody in the direction that they needed to go, but Fergie was the heart. And it will make me very sad if, uh, if he does retire. I, I know that this is the peril of being a fan and I am a sentimentalist. So this will be hard, but that's not to say that this is definitely happening, but we do need to talk about it. And I encourage all fans, all of our listeners all of our friends of the pod to chime in and talk about your feelings about this. You can DM us. You can email us at barelyontopic at gmail.com. You can tweet right at us. Jeff will give you all that information. I think that we should all talk about this because it's like group therapy. That's what it's going to be. And we're all going to need each other to get through this. And that is all I want to say about this now. Next week, we're going to talk about breakup day and we're going to talk about all of the injuries and all of the other stuff that we can find out. And 
I have plans that we're going to keep talking about Bruins things for a while because we have a lot to talk about this this offseason. And some of these big things we're not going to get answers for weeks, if not months. And that's fine. We will record as needed. Don't worry, we're not going to just disappear into the ether. We, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. That's one thing that we should be thankful about, that this Bruins team has given us a lot of food for thought. And that is a little bit frightening, but we're all going to get through this together. I, I will say I do have a feeling just because Patrice knowing the team and understanding things, I think that we find out his decision right around when free agency opens up. I have a feeling he's not going to want it to linger. No, I think we find before that, but I don't think we find out later. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think I don't think he goes I don't think we go into free agency without knowing because I don't think he would regardless of what happens, I don't think that he would want that. He would want the Bruins to be prepared if something if the bad thing were to happen. Well, I yeah, hate- like we, we 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 never know. We don't we still don't know when Krejci made his decision, but it certainly does seem like he didn't give the Bruins a lot a, 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 a lot of runtime there. And I'm assuming Berge, Berge watched that and doesn't want to do the same to them. Yeah, I, I feel like Krejci told them before, and I think that uh, Don Sweeney used him as a convenient uh, body to take the bullets. I, I, I'm painting Don Sweeney as this very nefarious guy. <laughs> See, I just don't buy that because, like, that's just, just that's self-defeating, and like, ultimately, there wasn't anyone on the market. So, like, if you should was upfront and own to that, it would have been. I don't know. Anyway, I don't. It would have been easier to be upfront and own it. I agree. All right. So before we leave today, I want to talk about one last thing, something that should bring some cheer to your heart. And those of us who love chaos and misery, as Down Goes Brown had had labeled us in that one uh, uh, story about uh, playoff teams and uh, you know their their index for uh, for winning the cup. It's spring, guys. The Leafs are out. They are out. <laughs> golf, Leafs, golf. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You know what? I looked that up last night, and it made me happier. Because if the Bruins are going to be knocked out, that's one thing. But if the Leafs are definitely not going any further, and they're losing again in the first round, and I love chaos and misery, and yes, I'm embracing my chaotic evil side, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. I don't like that I had to root for the um, for the uh, bolts, and I will not won't root for the bolts anymore because I'm in on the fancy cats. So I mean, like, how great is it that we're getting both a battle of Florida and a battle of Edmonton, a battle of Alberta in the second round? Oh my I mean, god, it's gonna be so great. Edmonton losing to LA would have been fucking funny, but for a quality of second round, I like the scenario better. Apart from like you know. Daryl Sutter revenge to our narratives, but I think you just jinxed the flames. Yeah, they still have a game seven. They do oh, tonight. Fuck, they do, huh? Yeah. But I think it's at home, please right? Don't do it. Please don't win, stars. Please don't win. You're so you you you're awful. I love Joe Pavelski, but otherwise, just like no, no. Uh, my band's <laughs> unofficial fourth member um, is Joe Pavelski. No, is is <laughs> Joe Pavelski? Yes. So I'm I'm rooting for the, I'm rooting for the stars. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, like I uh, really love Joe Pavelski. He's my favorite non-Bruin has been for years. But like, fuck, fuck Dallas. 
that is some joyless fucking hockey coming out of that city right now. <laughs> hey, you know what? They were part of that whole combination of teams that I did not enjoy watching that season because the wild, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like for 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 the record, I I really nailed that St. Louis Wild thing on my bracket because I knew it was going to go to six games because of course it would. Um, and I knew the wild would not make it past that round because of course they wouldn't. Oh, my bracket's rough after last night. Oh, tell me oh, about mine's it. Done. Mine's completely done. Like both, both teams I had in the final have gone. So, but that's okay because you know what? Someone's still going to win those Stanley cups, those precious little Stanley cups that I got. It, and it's going to be news, fun. I'm looking, at our, I'm looking at the challenge now and, only reason I'm not done done is because I was not I was one of the minority of people that didn't pick the Bruins to win the cup. Um, Good for you. Good for that you. That said, my East is fucked because I had the Bruins making it to the finals. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I really felt like if they could make it through the 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 uh, Canes, they could do anything. And well, yeah. I, I I will I will say one thing too about the Canes here. Um, I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, good luck, Canes," as Bruins fans. No, fuck that. I, I fucking I hate the team. I hate the coach. I hate the city. Tony fucking D'Angelo. I hate Tony D'Angelo. I hate everything. The I hate the fan base. I hate what everything about them. And I want nothing happy to ever come to the Carolina Hurricanes or their fans. I hope they get crushed. I hope they get like called for 800 million penalties. I hope they lose so goddamn hard. And I wish the same thing on St. Louis. Other than that, everything else is good. Anyone can win. Other than that, anyone else can win. But fuck those two teams in particular and fan bases. The end. Honestly, just generally speaking, I'm at the point where I say fuck teams that make the online analytics people all giddy because like they're just so fucking tedious and irritating. Okay. Even though like I agree with them philosophically, it's just the people that are boosting them are awful. Uh, um, I, I, I live in North Carolina. So how's that going for you? Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I I I just want the fancy cats to win. I want some joy um, somewhere and um, they don't irritate me as much as other teams do. So there we go. There we go. Uh, okay. Look, I think they should be uh, applauded for getting better. I think they should be applauded for getting rid of Quinville after the whole Blackhawks sca- scandal. And I just love watching Andrew Brunette because he looks like he just is a guy who happened to walk into the, the arena go behind the bench and he's hoping that nobody's catching that he's there. Honestly, that's sort of the story of his pretty good NHL career too. I, he just like the way he looks he just around sort of showed up and it's like, Oh Bob. Oh, Oh yeah. I, I I'm, I'm good at this. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. It, it's so funny to watch him because he looks like he's like, nobody's caught on yet. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here. I just walked in off the street and yet I'm coaching the team. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> in any um, case, the Leaf failing, that's fantastic. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of Leafland, although there's been this weird full-scale, full-court press by Leafs, by, by Leafs media and like certain Baghdad bobs amongst the Leaf fandom like Steve Birch. And Steve Birch is such a Baghdad fucking bob. Jesus Christ. They're all like, oh, they shouldn't change anything. He's like, why? This team uh, obviously needs to change something. 
yeah, another first round exit, you know, not good. Like they didn't embarrass themselves. So I suspect that there won't be as many firings. I was hoping for them to get blown out and then everyone from Shanny on down getting shit canned because chaos, but that's not going to happen now. But I don't see how Kyle Dubas actually survives this, and he shouldn't. No, he shouldn't. But I, I have a question for you guys. Would you rather, like, be in the playoffs every year and lose, like, the Toronto Maple Leafs have, game, a bunch of Game 7s just always being on the brink of maybe kind of doing the thing and then not doing it? Or would you rather be have a giant losing streak in the playoffs because I was thinking about these two things. It's two different sports, but the the Minnesota Twins haven't won a playoff game since 2004. They've lost 18 straight playoff games, and it's this streak is still going. Would you rather be on a team cheer for or be on a team that's lost 18 straight playoff games or lose in a bunch of game sevens? Game sevens. I mean, the the the. the, the yeah, I'd rather be that, but at the same token, the Leafs are about to, you know, be, the, the other, incoming draft class, most of them were born after the last Leafs series win. <laughs> <laughs> the Leafs have not won a series since against Ottawa in 2004. You love it. I love to see it. You love to see it. Well, yeah, I'd rather go to the Game 7s because at least you have a shot. That's you fair. Know? You have a shot. Like, bottom line is the Leafs have to do some serious roster changes. This mix does not work. It's a little expensive. Frankly, if I was Leafs management, I would be firing Dubas because it's quite clear that Tavares' contract was such an astonishing mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I was Man, thinking about that this morning. Yeah. I said that Tavares' deal is awful. Because they, they, that team would be better off right now, this year, with their top two centers being Matthews and Kadri. <laughs> mm-hmm. If for no other reason, if for no other reason than the six million dollars in cap space that could be spent somewhere else, if they'd kept Kadri. Yeah, he's a free agent. Just thought I'd mention that. And he oh, made I it know. through a, a playoff round without getting suspended. So good for him. I, I was yeah, rooting oh, for God. him to just make it through. You know what I mean? So good for him. I turn over a new leaf. I said they're playing. They're playing St. Louis, so I hope he hospitalizes several of them. But um... <laughs> look, I you know what I want Nazem Kadri to have a good series and not have any suspensions. That's that's my goal for him for the next thing. Um, and uh, yeah, you know what? Have good playoffs, make the money. There you go. Good for yeah, you. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm I'm on the side of rooting for him because he's not on the Leafs anymore. Okay, that's where I am. I don't Same want. Here. I I want to believe that people can change, um, and I think that something drove him nuts, and I I hope he's worked on it and much By success. Something drove to you. him nuts. You mean Jake DeBrusque? Well, yeah, but you know what? <laughs> we all move on and we grow, and you know he's got a lot to to play for. So. Keep going, Nazem Kadri. You you don't you're not on the Leafs anymore. I'm not rooting against you. I, that's fine. I, I I really hope that Nazem Kadri and Jake DeBrusque have put aside their differences because they're obviously going to be teammates in Boston next year. 
Kim Boston needs to come up with another center. Kadri is like the best option on the table as much as I really, really like Andrew Kopp. Kadri would be a better would be the better target. Well, he's not the best option on the table. That would be Clojure, but like he already declined to trade to Boston. Do you really think he'd sign here? (laughs) No. I you know what? If Nazem Kadri said, uh, yep, I'm gonna go to Boston, come on, baby, come here. I, I want welcome it. you with, with Think about open how much, arms. The amount of hate that would be flowing towards a line of Kadri and Marchand. I want it. I want oh, it. Oh my god! I <laughs> love it. Like I don't really want hate. Kadri as a Bruin, but like just for that reason, I'm just like, yes, yes. The chaos line. The Let chaos. your anger flow through you. <laughs> and and uh, the thing about this too is, if if Kadri came to Boston. Kadri playing the Leafs in the playoffs as a Boston Bruin <laughs> would be quite spectacular. I mean, I'm not convinced you make the playoffs with Kadri as your one C, but anyway. Hey, <laughs> you know what? In this fantasy, it happens, and they beat the Leafs in the first round. <laughs> it's all it's it's all good. It's all good. Um, I just wanted to end with a, a good note on the uh, the Leafs failing once again. Good for them. <laughs> someday I will not be laughing about this because someday they will succeed, but it's not no, this year. So, so it's, yeah, and this it's car old. has done it too many times. Now they're going to get blown up at least a little bit. Yep. It's fine. Scatter the pieces to the wind. May they improve other teams. Look, I, this is where I'm going to be. If you are a player on the Leafs and you go somewhere else, and as long as you're not just a phenomenal jerk, I'm fine with you. You know, um, it's just when you become a phenomenal jerk that that's the problem. And you're on the Leafs now, so it's a laundry issue. So, look, I, I just I, I wouldn't mind them getting broken up a little bit because uh, it, it's just kind of fun to see the chaos. So there you go. And the misery. And all of that. So. I think we should wrap things up because we will have a lot of stuff to talk about next week, guys, because there is a next week. It's just no games. So we can just concentrate on talking about other stuff like our bold predictions and things that we failed at. Oh, Oh, yeah. And then breakup day and all of that. So why don't you tell them where we can be found? Okay, listeners, you've been listening to Barely on Topic. You can find us wherever your favorite podcasts are found. You can uh, talk to us on Facebook. We're at Barely on Topic Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at Barely on Topic. And then, of course, there are individual Twitter accounts. I, for one, am at Dr. Hand Grenade. I am at Tim A. Richardson. I am at Nick Baggio. And I am at Don't Mess With Rhode Island. Also known as at VA from RI. Yeah. <laughs> Word? <laughs>